I hope you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Malachi, uh, the book of Malachi. As you're getting settled, let me say, I don't, just in case I didn't make it clear that our Christmas experience this year, you can watch that at any time. It'll be made available uh, come Christmas Eve day, but you can watch that anytime your family is getting together to celebrate after Christmas Eve. So it can be Christmas Eve morning early, or it can be Christmas Eve night late, or if you want to do Christmas day or Christmas night, or you want to do it the day after Christmas, whenever your family's getting together, you need to know you can watch that anytime beginning on Christmas Eve. We're just excited to share that experience with our church family together because I really hope now that Christmas is only five days away that you can't wait and there's anticipation. Anybody anticipating Christmas besides me? A whole soul. You know, maybe this year we're a little bit subdued. We know this Christmas is going to be a little diff- different than some in the past because of COVID-19. Sometimes families are gathering virtually this year, and so we know it's going to be different. But I hope you're still anticipating it. If nothing else, again, I hope you're anticipating our Christmas experience we're sharing together. Because as a church, we've been trying to, you know, hopefully get you excited for that because we want to share it with you. We've tried to build that anticipation and hope that you'll be excited. We're hoping that you're going to be in anticipation mode. And as I think about the anticipation that we have for Christmas, I'm reminded that there was a time where Christmas was anticipated from a different perspective, the perspective that had never experienced Christmas before. You know, for us gathered here today, when we anticipate Christmas, we anticipate it looking back because Christmas, really the first Christmas already happened. But there was a time where Christmas was being looked forward to for the very first time. Now, they would not have called it Christmas, obviously. They didn't know to call it that. But they were looking forward to the time when the Savior would come. And one place that we find this anticipation being built is in the book of Malachi. And so if you haven't already, turned there in your Bible. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. And this is the perfect place for us to end our series, Unbroken. Because there's so much here that shows us what God's plan was and is, as well as there's much here in Malachi that reminds us that God's plans truly are unbroken. God's plans haven't changed, and we need to see how we fit into God's plan. In fact, today, here's what we're going to see, that God gives an answer. All right, God gives an answer, and ultimately, we're going to see that Jesus is the answer to our questions. As we begin to look at Malachi, let me set the stage for you. Last week, we looked at some of the book of Nehemiah and saw how the Jewish people had been exiled and God began to rebuild them. The Jews began to come back to Jerusalem, and we saw last week where they went through a major spiritual reform led by Ezra and others. We ended last week by mentioning how the people renewed their commitment to God. And in that commitment, they had agreed several things. They had agreed to give their first and their best of what they had to God. They had committed to taking care of God's temple, and they made a commitment to honor God with their marriages. No doubt this was an important time in the life of the people. They were rebuilding their relationship with God. And though their situation was still difficult, they had found hope in a new relationship with God. However, by the time we get to the book of Malachi, generation later, here's what we're going to see is that commitment has fallen by the wayside. In fact, do something later today. Maybe go, all, go read all of Malachi. It's just four really short chapters. It's not very long. But Malachi will give a description of how the people had already turned from God in this short period of time. Now, what the people hadn't failed to do, though, was become religious. In fact, they became hyper-religious, which ended up with the Jewish people having a form of religion without a relationship with God a condition that really exists for most Jews to this day. It was during this time of Malachi that groups like the Pharisees and the Sadducees formed. Some of you will recognize these names as they were the religious elite that gave Jesus so much problem. Jesus even called them whitewashed tombs because they looked good on the outside, but on the inside they were spiritually dead. Therefore, in Malachi's day, people may have looked religious, but their hearts truly were far from God. 
In light of this, I'm going to make a confession. All right? If I were God in Malachi's day, I would have looked at the people and I would have said, enough of you. I would have looked at them and said, I've already done so much for you. And now this is how you're going to treat me. If I were God, I would have wiped them off the face of the earth. Well, let's be thankful I'm not God. Amen. And that's not how God was. God, instead of casting them aside, here's what we're going to see once again, that God loves his people. As we jump into our text, we could also see Malachi as a summary of all we've been looking over the last number of weeks. The issues we see here really are a summary of what has been going on in the life of God's people, a summary of how they continue to be unfaithful to God and at times suffer. Yet God is gracious and God is merciful. In the midst of the people's unfaithfulness, we see where God does provide hope. Our message today is going to be driven by three questions we find in the book of Malachi, questions that the people had about God. Look how Malachi begins, though. Verse 1 says, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. That simply reminds us that what we're going to read today are the words of the Lord. They are delivered through the prophet Malachi, but these are God's word to his people. The first words of God confirm what I really just said, because look at verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. From the very beginning, God wanting his message to be loud and clear. I love you. As we've been making our way through the series Unbroken, if there's anything that we should understand, it's the depth of God's love. His love is amazing. His love is greater than anything else we can experience. His love is even greater than the love that a child will have for a puppy found under the Christmas tree, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? His love is unending no matter what. God loves his people, and here he made it clear. He stated it right up front because he really addresses the first question that the people had for God. And the next few words shows us that question. Look at uh, the rest of verse 2. But you say, all right, this is God saying to the people, how have you loved us? So the people look at God and say, God, how have you loved us? And God says, it's not Esau, Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob. You see, here we see the people question the love of God. If you remember, the Jewish people had found themselves in captivity after being conquered by their enemies. And even though now they were back in their homeland, the people questioned God's love because their conditions were still not ideal. The words of the previous prophet speaking of a Savior who would reign seemed to still be unfulfilled, and the people began to doubt God. They believed that if God truly loved them, then they would not be under the rule of others, and they would be a thriving, dominant nation. So even though God declared his love for them, they asked God, how have you loved us. Now, God's response was pretty simple. Really, I, it, to me, it's a little bit uh, sarcastic. Now, I'm a sarcastic person, so maybe I'm reading that into it, but God really responded with a little sarcasm. He looked back at them and says, listen, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I've loved Jacob. In other words, he wanted them to look back at their history beginning with Jacob. He wanted the people to understand that his love was first shown by him choosing Jacob to be the one who he would work through in order to carry out his plan, the plan to bless the whole world. That choice alone should have been enough for the people to know of God's love. That he would choose Jacob and his descendants as a special people should have been enough. It was a blessing for God to choose them. And history had already shown how God had continued to use the descendants of Jacob in a special way. All they had to do was consider the history of Israel to see the many times that God had expressed his love for them. We've already talked about many of those during our series, how he delivered them from bondage, how he provided for their needs in the wilderness. He delivered them from the hands of their enemies. He continued to forgive their rebellion time and time again. God's loving goodness to them should have been evident, but their current difficulty was overshadowing the goodness of God. Now, this shouldn't surprise us because don't we do the same thing? 
I mean, when hard times come in our lives, don't we wonder if God loves us? I mean, think about our time right now. We, we look and say this, you know what? Well, if God loved us, we surely wouldn't be suffering through a pandemic, right? Or maybe if it's not the pandemic, maybe it's something more personal to you. Maybe you have your own personal health problem, not related to COVID-19, but you're looking and saying, if God loved me, surely I wouldn't have this health issue in my life. Or maybe this last year you lost your job, or maybe your spouse left you, or maybe your kids are going astray and you wonder, where is God? Again, you think if he loved you, surely you wouldn't be going through the situation you're going in. You see, we, like the Jewish people, have this tendency to question God's love for us. We, though, like the Jewish people, should be able to look back and see all that God has done and say, I know he loves us. Now, though we question God's love for us, it is actually the wrong question. The real question should be, do we love God? I mean, if you read the rest of Malachi 1 and into chapter 2, though the Israelites are questioning God's love, the truth of their lives was simply this, that they were not living for God. If anyone was to question one's love, It should have been God questioning the love of the people for him, not the other way around. But you know what? That's not what we look at, is it? We have a hard time seeing our own failures. I mean, we simply look at our lives as basically good. And so when things don't go our way, we question God. In reality, when we look at our lives, we should wonder why God loves us at all. Right? Yet God continues to remind us, as he did here in Malachi, that he loves us. Now, the people's questioning of God's love is followed by another question, for the people then questioned the justice of God. Look at chapter 2, verse 17. He says, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we worried him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? You see, here God is pointing out to the people how they question his justice, And they do it on two fronts. First, they look at the people they consider evil and do not see them suffering. The people see evil people getting away with many kinds of evil. And so they conclude that since God isn't punishing the wicked, then God must be saying that these evil people are doing right. That God is saying these evil people are actually good. Now, that statement is a very observed assessment of what's going on, right? Because here's what we know. God will never call evil good, will he? He Never will. The second thing the people then were saying was, if, if, if that's not the case, then God simply must be absent. For if God was present, he wouldn't be overlooking all the evil that was going on, and he would punish all those who do wrong. Well, here is the problem with these statements. Again, the people are failing to consider their own sin and their own need for punishment. I don't quote rap very often. Y'all know that, right? But here I'm reminded of the words by Lecrae, who is a Christian rapper. It is from his song, Truth. In that song, Lecrae said these words. He says, hey, look, man, some people say that God ain't real because they don't see how a good God can exist with all this evil in the world. If God is real, then he should stop all this evil because he's all powerful, right? What is evil, though, man? It's anything that's against God. It's anything morally bad or wrong. It's murder, rape, stealing, lying, cheating. But if we want God to stop evil, do we want him to stop all of it or just a little bit of it? If he stops us from doing evil things, what about lying or what about our evil thoughts? I mean, where do you stop? The murder level, the lying level, or the thinking level? If we want him to stop evil, we got to be consistent. We can't just pick and choose. That means you and I would be eliminated, right? Because we think evil stuff. If that's true, we should be eliminated. I hope you caught what he said there. I mean, I should have probably tried to wrap it like him, right? No, thank you. (laughs) Probably wouldn't have turned out too well, but what Lecrae is saying in his lyrics is this. 
That we look and get upset when we see certain evil people seemingly get away with their crimes and we get mad at God thinking he's not just because he's not punishing those who do wrong. However, what we forget is that we have our own wrong that we do and we fail to see the need to be punished and we don't question God on that. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you got upset at God because you did something wrong and you didn't get punished for it? Never, right? You've never been mad about that, all right? We are thankful anytime we realize that we have done wrong and difference didn't suffer. That attitude, though, is wrong if we want all evil punished. Notice God had a response specifically for this charge against him. His words began to speak some of the words of anticipation that I spoke about. What was God's response? He says, behold, I am sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. You see, God's response to being called unjust was, well, I'm sending a messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come. In other words, he promises the coming of two different messengers. Now, many of you make an immediate connection here, but if you don't, know that these promised comings were fulfilled in the first Christmas. Luke chapter 2 is where most of us have a tendency to read the Christmas story from. It is the most popular telling of the Christmas story as we read about Jesus' birth. What we have a tendency to forget, though, is that Luke chapter 1 tells of another improbable birth, the birth of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist came to be the one spoken of here in Malachi who prepared the way for Jesus. His message can be summarized by these words found in Luke chapter 3, 8 and 9. Bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, his message is basically threefold. His message is first, repent. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Number two, he was saying, don't trust your religious heritage because God can raise up, listen, his own children from these stones, all right? Don't say, hey, Jacob, or don't, don't look and say that I'm children of Abraham. Don't claim your heritage today. And then he says, listen, God will execute justice because every tree, listen, that does not bear good fruit, it's going to be cut down. That was John's message. He was saying, God's gonna execute justice. And then what did he do? He was pointing people to Jesus, one who would come after him who would be greater than him. He was pointing people to the other one who was to come that Malachi spoke of. In fact, look at how Malachi spoke of the Lord's coming. We read a moment ago that the Lord the people sought would be one in whom they would delight. But then Malachi goes on to explain his coming and says, beginning back in verse 2 of chapter 3, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will set as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. All right, think about this for a moment. The people had anticipated for a long time the coming of a promised Savior. They had heard of the prophecy of the previous prophets and looked forward to the Savior's coming. They truly looked forward to his coming with delight, as Malachi put it. In response to the people's question, God's justice, though, God responds by promising the Lord's coming. But at his coming, he would be a refiner's fire. What the people looked forward to with delight, God was saying, will be different than you thought because this Savior will be a refiner. God then spoke about the Lord purifying the priest. 
And I hope everyone knows what a refiner's fire is. If not, a refiner's fire in whose metal is heated so hot, it's heated to the point that it melts. And then the impurities rise to the top so that they can be removed, so that metal can be made pure. You see, God's response to the Jewish people questioning his justice was basically this. I'm going to come to remove the impurities, and I'm going to come to remove them from you. I'm coming to execute justice, including in your life. And when the people saw the problem being that the wicked around them were not being punished, God says, I'm coming, in essence, to judge you. Probably not what the people wanted, right? Take your head this way. No. The people believed that when the Savior came, he would simply rescue them and punish their enemies. They didn't consider the fact that the Lord would be coming to deal with their sin. But as I mentioned a few moments ago, we find it easy to point out the failures of others, but fail to see our own. Therefore, the people could look forward with anticipation for these coming messengers, but they needed to know that when they came, the people needed to be ready to face their own sin. And thankfully, God mentions the result will be the priests bringing offerings in righteousness to the Lord. In other words, that in the end, righteousness will prevail. Now, after questioning God's justice, they had another question. And in some ways, a related question, but the people questioned God's worth. Look at how they posed the question beginning in verse 13 of chapter 3. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is in vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. See, I hope you see what they were asking. When they said, what is the profit of our keeping his charge? The people were basically saying, we don't see how we benefit from serving God. In other words, following the Lord is not worth it. People who are evil seem to be succeeding. And we who are God's people seem to be suffering. It was a very similar question to the last one, but it took it a step further. For now they were questioning whether they should trust the Lord at all. They didn't see the benefit of following the Lord. They did not see his worth. We will come back in a few moments and make note of verse 16, but let's look at God's response to this question beginning in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. All right, look at verse 2. But for you, okay, But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stalls, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act as the Lord of hosts. See, here God gives them something else to be in anticipation about. God says there is a day coming when all those who do wrong will be dealt with, when evil will be punished and all will be made right. He also says in that day, Those who love him will experience the blessing of having served the Lord. Now, we might not know exactly what it means, but the son of righteousness rising with healings upon his wings, does that sound like something good? Does to me, right? We like the thought especially of healing in a day when all around us we see the need of healing. The thought of a son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. I mean, that's something that sounds good to us. And surely we want to go and have such joy in our life that it's like calves leaping out of the stalls, right? Some of the young people look today and say, what, what, what is that like, right? 
Fortunately, I grew up on a farm, so I know what it's like to watch a calf being released from the stall when it's been pent up and it's released and it goes jumping through the field with great joy, all right? For those that don't know that, maybe do this. This afternoon, watch some of these professional football games where there's no fans in the stands. And now what they've done in some of these stadiums is they put screens in the end zone. You know what I'm talking about? And so these guys score, these grown men score touchdowns. And so what they do, they run to get in front of that screen and say, whoa, I scored a touchdown, whoa. Okay, I made a fool of myself, but y'all watch that today. That's what they do, right? Aren't you looking forward to a day when you would say, man, I have such joy in my life that I would leap like that? God says that day is coming. There is a day coming when great celebration will break out. We might doubt now that there is such a great day coming, but that day is coming. A day when those who love the Lord will understand it was worth it. Now, I said that we would look at verse 16 in, in chapter 3, and now would be a good time to go back to it because what we need to understand is that people one day will be on one of two sides. There will be those on the side of experiencing this great healing and rejoicing, and then there will be those on the side of destruction. Look at verses 16 and 18. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. When some were questioning the worth of following the Lord, there was a group, it says here, who truly feared the Lord and they spoke to each other. Now, we don't have recorded what they said to each other. We, we don't know that. But I would imagine they, they were probably getting together and they saw all this question going among on. But these who feared the Lord came together and said, listen, he is worth serving. They probably looked and said, we need to trust God. Even though things are difficult, we need to trust him. They would say he is worthy of our lives. They were probably encouraging one another and encouraging each other to continue to have their faith in God. God noticed in, in spite of that, he took notice of them. And their name was written in a book of remembrance and the Lord declared about those who trusted him that they were his. There is a distinction made between the righteous and the wicked. Now, I read that, uh, read that and I'm reminded of a passage in Revelation 20 where we see events that we are, particip- uh, parti- uh, we are anticipating in the future. Where after Jesus comes again, there is this great judgment. Here's what we read in Revelation 20 beginning in verse 11. He says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had recorded. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. See, folks, there is a day coming when it will be clear, a clear separation between the righteous and the wicked. There is a day, we read in Revelation, where God will open his books, all right? They will not be books that list those who have been naughty or nice. Because let me go ahead and say, if that was the case, there would just be one book and we'd all be in it and it would all say naughty, right? That's right. right. But there will be these books that are open. The first one that will record what we've done in life. And those who have not trusted in the Lord will be judged based on what they have done in their life. 
and they will experience the judgment of the Lord. Wickedness will be punished. But the most important book will be the book of life that contains the names of those who have placed their faith in Jesus. Those who have placed their faith in the Lord will experience the blessings of heaven, which in part will include this experience as recorded in Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of with God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. You see, for those in Malachi's day who are wondering about God's worth, God wanted them to know that truly serving him would be worth it in the end. If in the present things don't look so promising, the future is bright for those who serve the Lord. There is a day of healing and rejoicing coming. That promise still stands. You see, as we look at these questions raised here in Malachi, we've been looking all along at God's plans and saying they've been old and broken. There is a verse that we didn't look at earlier, but I want us to look at now. It's Malachi 3, 6. Look at what was said there. He says, for I, the Lord, this is God speaking, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You see, what an important reminder for us from God, a reminder that we've been stressing over these last several weeks that God does not change, that his plans are unbroken. As we look at these questions here in Malachi, we know that we have all asked these or similar questions before. We have all wondered about God's love, have we not? Shake your head this way, all right? We have all wondered about God's justice, have we not? We have all wondered today, is God worth it? Is God worthy of my life? Is it worth me following him? We've all done that. And I want to say to you today, in light of the fact that we are just a few days from Christmas, is this, you ready? That Jesus is the answer to all these questions. You see, after the words of Malachi, there were 400 years before the events of the New Testament, it's as if God went silent saying, okay, you've asked the questions, I've answered them. Now, I want you to think about my answer. I want you to think about what I said, and I want you to live with anticipation. I want you to think about these messengers who are coming. I want you to think about this day of reckoning that's coming. I want you to think about the joy that can be yours. I want you to think about this. And for 400 years, he was silent to let them think. Then we see Jesus come and fulfill God's plans. These messengers spoken of in Malachi come. John the Baptist come, and most importantly, the Lord Jesus Christ comes. And though there's not enough time for me to look at everything today, I would love to share with you. Just think for a moment of what we were told in John 3, 16 through 18 about how these words relate to Malachi, where God says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Let me ask or say this. If you ever question God's love, all you have to do is look to Jesus. Look to Christmas. For God so loved the world that he sent his Son. Does God love you? Absolutely. You see, many, many this time of year, they're going to give gifts to people they love. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, there will not be any gift given this Christmas that matches the gift that God has already given through Jesus Christ. The gift of Jesus Christ is the greatest gift that has ever been given, and it was a gift that was given in love because God loves you. If you've ever questioned that, look to Jesus. The answer is yes, God loves you. If you ever question the justice of God, you look to Jesus. Why? 
Because Jesus came to deal with sin. Notice here in John 3 that God wanted to save us from sin. He also noted that we stood condemned. In other words, we had already been declared guilty before God. Because God is a God of justice, sin is condemned. But Jesus came to give us hope. And Romans 3 explains this well. And I want to read that to you today from the New Living Translation because what God did through Jesus Christ makes it very, is made very clear there. Listen to these words. It says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty from our sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when He held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For He was looking ahead and including them in what He would do in this present time. For God did this to demonstrate His righteousness. For He Himself is fair and just, and He makes sinners right in His sight when they believe in Jesus. I hope this is clear. God is just. God punishes sin. But He gives us the opportunity to be forgiven through Jesus Christ because Jesus came and He sacrificed His life for sin. He took the punishment for all who had placed their faith in Him. Because God loves us, He didn't want to cast us aside. He doesn't want us to experience the punishment described in Revelation 20 when we read about that eternal lake of fire. Instead, God wants us all to experience eternal life. And so Jesus came and took our suffering so that all who place their faith in him might be forgiven through Jesus. In other words, through Jesus paying the price for your sin. In that, justice was executed. In fact, let me just take a reminder to tell you this, that Jesus fulfilled this promise. He did come as even that refiner's fire. He came to purify his people. I want to mention this because sometimes when we look to Jesus, all we want is someone who makes our life easier or better. We want a Savior who will answer all our prayers on our terms. We want a genie in the bottle. We want a Savior who forgives sin and then lets us live life however we want. But that is not what Jesus came to do. He came to purify us all. Trust me when I say that can mean some difficult moments in life. A refiner's fire is hot. It melts, but in the process, it purifies. We should always remember that fact because it will help us not be discouraged in our times of difficulty. Instead, it makes us open to God refining. Doesn't it say in James that count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, any difficulties that come into our lives are being used by God to refine us and to make us pure. And since we are looking at was a response to the people questioning God's justice, let's say God's response was, I'm actually going to deal with all sin, including the sin in the lives of those who claim to follow me. I'm going to work to make pure those who trust me. God is just and God deals with all sin. Jesus shows us God is a God of justice. Then the last question we have to consider is following God worth it? Well, John 3.16 says those who place their faith in Jesus gain eternal life. You tell me, is Jesus worth it? Yes. John 3.18 says those who trust in Jesus are not condemned, are not condemned. You telling me, is following Jesus worth it? Absolutely. What I know is the eternal life that Jesus offers is something that in a way I'm anticipating as a believer. You know what? I look forward to the day when I experience what I read in Revelation 20 and 21. 
I look forward to a day when there is no more pain. I look forward to a day when there is no more crying. I look forward to a day when all the old order of things pass away. I look forward to a day when I don't have to live with the fear of a virus like COVID-19 or any virus for that. I look forward to a day without the fear of any sickness or suffering. I look forward to a day when I'm in the presence of God forevermore. I anticipate that day with great excitement. Death is not scary because I know for me and all who fear the Lord, the best is yet to come. Right? However, I'm thankful that in the present, that as a believer, we can experience the benefits of eternal life now and that when you know Jesus, he offers peace in a troubled world, that he offers his presence to comfort and guide and strengthen daily. When you know Jesus and the peace he brings, you can deal with life better. There is comfort in knowing that there is one who has your future under control. You see, we anticipate Christmas here in a few days, but let's go ahead and answer these questions. Does God love you? Is God a God of justice? Is God worth following? Yes. God gave his answer to all those questions in the coming of Jesus Christ. The first coming that we celebrate this week with Christmas and the second coming that is promised that we still anticipate. The big question I have to ask you today is this. What is your answer to God? Will you say yes to following him? Will you answer yes to accepting Jesus as your Savior? Will you be like those few in Malachi when others were questioning God and they were wondering if God is a God of justice? They were wondering if we're following Jesus, we're worth it. Will you be like those few who gathered together and said, we are faithful to the Lord, we're gonna follow him? Are you gonna be like those few who God looks and takes notice and then writes a record of you in his book? Ultimately, are you gonna be one who God writes in the book of life? You see, that's ultimately the question that you have to decide today. Will you choose Jesus? What is your answer to God? The way you answer that question will ultimately determine not only your eternal destination, but it will also affect the way you view the world and the way you live your life. I hope today you will choose to follow Jesus and experience God's love, that you will experience his justice, and you will experience his worth both now and forevermore. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Will you accept the answer that God has given? His name is Jesus. Will you accept him today? Will you pray with me, Father, as we come at this moment? We come to the end of a message, God, when we've been reminded that though we have some questions, that, God, you have the perfect answer, and his name is Jesus. And God, as we come to this invitation, I know, God, not all who are listening to me today knows you. And I pray today would be a day that some would choose to follow you. And maybe some of their questions that have kept them are, first of all, of your love. Do you love them? I hope today they know today that you love them, God, and Jesus proves that you love them. Father, maybe there's some that have been kept from you because they see the evil in the world and they've been wondering, are you a God of justice? And they've been wondering what's going on. But today that they would understand that you've answered that question in Jesus that you came to die for all sin, including their sin, and that if you left anything unpunished at this point, it's you being patient, wanting all to come to know you, but to know that there is a time when justice will be executed. And I pray today, God, they will reach out to you, a God of justice, who allowed Jesus to die in their place, and they will accept him as their Savior. And I pray today that for some who are questioning, is it really worth it, God, that today they will say, yes, they understand it is worth following you because you have a day waiting for all of those who place their faith in you, a day where there is no more pain, a day where there is no more sorrow, 
A day where we can be in your presence forevermore. And I pray today that if they've never said yes to you, that today is that day. For those who know you, Lord, my prayer is today that they would rejoice, that they know that they have that hope, and that they share that hope with the lost and dying world. And if some today have maybe been wavering, they've been questioning because of what they have been suffering through, I pray today they would just renew their commitment to you and be reminded that, yes, in the end, it's going to be worth it to hang in there, to keep pressing on, because you are a great God who loves them, a just God who's provided a way for them to be forgiving, and a God, again, who has the best awaiting those who love you, who's worth serving with their life. And so during this invitation, God, bless us, help us, Lord, to make decisions for you, to be renewed in our love and joy for you today. And as I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.